Uh, I'm Alexander Young. I'm Amanda. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Alexander Young, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I don't have anything new to plug, unfortunately. Uh, again, okay. most All of my right. stuff is very more, it's, it's very esoteric in, uh, in where it applies, mostly to uh, the, the people who are currently learning under me. Cool. And Amanda, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I just started playing Skyrim last week. How is it? Uh, I just found a thing where you can shrink your pony to be really small. It's very funny. I like it. Is that a mod or is that like a built-in like part of the game officially? You can like write commands. Like if you have the tilde screen, it just brings up a window oh. and you can type in. Like you pulled up, you pull down the console and you type plus M look. Yeah, but I've, I've heard that like Skyrim is about spending more time installing mods than playing the game and like it's not wrong. There's a lot of mod. I, I feel like that feels more like stories about magic than the actual magic of RPGs. <laughs> To be able to just say, oh, you're a frog now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my pony is a tenth of the size. It's a straight out of Sword in the Stone. Actually, I thought of something to plug. This week, I thought of a really cool way to iteratively make combinations of numbers that have no common factors through algorithms, and it grows at certain rates. Okay, are you plugging this to humans, or are you plugging this to robots? I don't... I mean, anyone willing to listen to me about this, I beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> do Do you have a, a paste bin or a or a jit? Is it, it do people use gist now? I don't know what that is, but I could. I could. There's a there's a GitHub for web work. I guess I could fork. I don't know how any of that works though. <laughs> yeah, me either. Okay, <laughs> I'm our repository manager. You could start a live journal. Uh, can you break it up into tweets? Ooh, I could make a very cryptic Twitter account that just makes combinations of numbers continuously. <laughs> That's probably the best it's... way to get attention because like, what is it doing? What does it mean? It's the... If you can convert your algorithm to a tracery bot, you can set it up on cheap bots done quick without even writing, without even setting up any bots yourself. Math ebooks. Has that been taken? Let's find out. Let's find Do out. Do you sing like dirty deeds done dirt cheap while you're on cheap... Bots.com. <laughs> I feel like this conversation has left me behind like three steps ago. Math ebooks has been suspended. <gasps> For bad behavior. What did math <laughs> what ebooks did you do? do? You know what you done. <laughs> no. You know what you did. Numbers can't be illegal. <laughs> Your numbers can be illegal. I fully believe this. Dirty deeds and the dungeon. Well, if you ever need the plot for the next Frog Fractions, Jim. <laughs> wow. I I just want to... I want this whole episode now to be about figuring out what math ebooks did wrong. Yeah, I feel like this is a mystery better than any of the topics we actually selected. My topic was great. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Yeah, that's true. We should probably do some topics. Alexander, your topic is the disappointment of sci-fi stories that are just reskins of stuff that happens on Earth. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of a gripe, but it's also kind of a like it, it it's a room for improvement kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. I, I like a lot of sci-fi series. Like I'm I, I watch almost every episode of Next Gen. I'm working my way through Deep Space Nine. You know, it's cheesy, it's great, I love it. Battlestar Galactica, that stuff. But 
a lot of the stuff that happens is like it could have been an age of exploration story on earth like you know right. sub in the the planets for islands or cities or you know small principalities and well that goes for like any any show or movie where like spaceships go somewhere and there's something good to find there yeah or like oh wow there's an unexpected planet that got in our way or uh yeah. you know it, it, like oh no they we're on the next planet over or they got to our defenses or like, oh, let's land on this planet and look for Bob. Okay. When do you want someone <laughs> to completely disagree and how long am I allowed to completely disagree for? Uh, now and indefinitely. Great. Uh, so I, I, maybe I haven't let you expand enough on your premise. I don't agree. I'd say like science fiction and fantasy has traditionally been like a safe lens for exploring our existing culture. Um, like without the like without people's defenses automatically coming up. Like if you look at Dune, right? Like Dune mm -hmm. could be um, like a criticism of like petro states, and there's like you know like there's like cultural appropriation. There's all kinds of stuff going on in Dune. But if you just wrote a book that was like, let's imagine that our like current history with Saudi Arabia went a little bit differently, like that would just lose so much of like the the commentary in Dune. And like like part of that is allowable because it doesn't come with all the preconceptions. Like it, you know, if you tell people about like the oil wars in Saudi Arabia, they come into it with all these preconceptions about who's right and who's wrong, who's us and who's them. But all of a sudden when you sit on this alien planet, you change a few things up. Now, like you can kind of force people to re-examine their beliefs. And I think like Asimov as well was like really good at doing that with the foundation books um, by having like an earth-like society somewhere else in a way that like kind of like forces you to confront your own uh, assumptions and biases. I was going to say basically the same thing that there are two almost entirely different schools of sci-fi, one of which is actually looking forward into the future and one of which is is using it as a thin veneer over like commentary on our existing culture and it kind of sucks that I think people tend to only like one or the other and it kind of sucks that they get like thrown together in the same basket. Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to say, I, I think that's totally right. Like, I think that's the best, like, that, that's the best aspect of this reskinning. Like, I'm thinking about, like, Firefly, let's have it be Wild West post-Civil War, but let's make it that the Rebels were actually the good guys, because that's a better story. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's great. You know, it, it it's good. It's enjoyable. It's just, I also like using the fact that space is a different place where like different things hap would happen on different scales and different timelines with different considerations and social dynamics and all of that just like having it at a bigger scale would mean things this is why it's it's not entirely a gripe i think there's a lot of room to grow into that for all our stories, we're like, well, you know, we need a spaceship that can get you to another star in a couple days because that's the kind of stories we all want to tell. But if you if you adopt the limitation that nothing ever goes faster than the speed of light, that's a hugely difficult story to tell. But if you can do it, it's really interesting. Yeah. So, like, like I agree with your original premise that it's weird when you meet aliens and the aliens always act like people. But at the same yeah. time, like, I think... If we imagine like uh, like humanity in the future settling planets, like we're obviously going to bring our baggage and our current ways of being with us. Like we're not actually like likely to shed that. Uh, and, and I think of like my aunt talking about a really like when she went on her trip to Israel, saying it, like meeting Jews from Ethiopia. She said it was just mind blowing because like 
you have the same holidays, you have the same culture. And then they're like, yeah, you know, I just really love mom's like mom's couscous on Passover. And they're like, what? <laughs> what about matzo ball soup? And they're like, what? Because that's just like so deeply associated with being Jewish uh, over here. And so like they've kind of got that same like same traditions. But um, like, you know, Ethiopia was just in its own like doing its own thing for so long, like this kind of like game of elephant or echo chamber that when, you know, we made contact with them again, things come back like different. And and so, so that in a sense, like it's kind of disappointing when you like see sci-fi where everyone's just doing the same thing, but it's also like yeah. very believable for me. Right. I, I think there's a balance. Like I, one, one thing I really like about Deep Space Nine is, well, anything with Garak, but like, especially when he has his, like he, he tries to explain Cardassian culture and how, just like weird their sense of values and like their literary genre is and like their like reverse mystery stories. Um, like that's super interesting to see something like humans, but also different. Realistically, if we find aliens and they're just like starfish people that communicate through music, they'll be interesting to us on a scientific point of view, but like not on a cultural view you can't listen to their emotion in their voice or like watch their facial expressions because we got nothing that we can connect with on that level. Yeah. Did you watch Solaris? I did not watch Solaris. Okay. Yeah. Go. Maybe that's like your. I've heard it's boring. Episode. Yeah. Are, are you saying is. I like boring stuff? You do like. You're boring probably things. right. Yeah. I should watch Solaris then. <laughs> but, but specifically because the premise of Solaris is like learning to communicate with like yeah. something only alien. Yeah. Uh, among other oh, premises. Arrival. I loved Arrival. Oh yeah, Arrival's really good. Yeah, because that because it's like it's an alien invasion movie without the invasion, and also no one's fighting each other. Like, there's no actual bad guys. It is just completely about language. Right. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> That's Close Encounters of the Third Kind, oh. isn't it? Something like that. That's the melody. Yeah. There you go. It was a Jeopardy, Final Jeopardy question once, and I was so excited. I was like, all these years of... Wait, did the, did they have to, like, write out the sheet music for they, those notes? They told you the interval, and so they were like, oh, it's like a second and a descending third and whatever, then an octave, and I was like, close encounters of the third kind! And everyone in the airport was staring at me, but I was very excited. <laughs> That's very specific. That's way more specific than, like, even most Final Jeopardies, I would guess. I thought, yeah, it was really creative. And I guess you can't do that more than once because then people will start, you know, training for it. Uh, but I thought I thought it was really cool. I don't know. I'm, I'm totally into like musicians Jeopardy. The, the, everybody's memorizing all the melodies they can. No. So like, let me tell you how this goes. My mom's a <laughs> piano teacher. How this goes is like your mom who probably has like a high grade anxiety disorder because that's what happens to like most musicians, especially like piano players. Like very high strung. Uh, so you're driving on the highway the wrong way to get to her music exam, which you're late for. And she's just screaming like, how many kids did Bach have? And you're like, 21. Was it 21? I thought it was 18. Like that. that's how that goes. But you you don't play Jeopardy while driving though. There, It's in a studio. No, but like if you don't get mom all the answers for her exam in time, like you don't want to know what happens. You're saying that you're already right. overtrained. Yeah. I've, I've been through like the fires of musical Jeopardy is there, and I still am alive. That's is there, about all is there a correlation between how tightly strung your instrument is and how tightly strung you are? I don't. I mean, I do want to spend spread bias against different instruments and any oboists listening, um, you made a bad choice and you should reconsider. 
if any oboists are listening to this right now, just start uh, contributing to the Patreon and I'll back you up. Oh, is this going to be like me versus oboists? Because I'll be back to fight. Uh, you know, I'm going to like open up my Twitter one morning. It's going to be all these oboists like coming at me and I'm just going to cry, but I'm totally going to deserve it. Remember the episode where the Enterprise found that planet full of musicians and there's a war between the pianists and the oboists? Uh, are we ready for another topic? I think we are very ready for another topic. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, please, please switch topics before I like incriminate myself. Uh, Amanda, your topic is my Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. Okay. So back in the day when Bitcoin came out. Like, do you remember when they had physical Bitcoin? Like, you could put your Bitcoin, like, on a coin. Uh, no, I don't remember this. Oh, you could put your Bitcoin on a coin. So, like, like back when Bitcoin came out, for whatever reason, like, Edmonton has been super ahead of the times with Bitcoins. Like, not the place you'd imagine to be a Bitcoin hub. Uh, so, like, Bitcoin came out when I was in college. We put miners on all, like, the campus servers because they weren't looking for it. Like, we had SETI at home on there before. If Oh, man, remember SETI? Never found anything. Uh, so we're just like, hey, cool. Yeah, like a campus cluster. Let's drop like Bitcoin miners on there. I distinctly remember like we were trying to get enough Bitcoin to buy a pizza with because there was a Canadian chain that took Bitcoin. But then we found out they only took Bitcoin in Vancouver, like not in the Alberta locations. So I like have a wallet somewhere with Bitcoin in it. I just don't remember my wallet number. I think a lot of people are in this situation. <laughs> Yeah, and like on one, like I don't lose very much sleep over it because like, I just kind of treat it like imaginary money. Like I didn't work for this Bitcoin. Like I didn't do anything to create that money, like or create that value. And, and I also kind of think like, like a lot of the appeal of, of Bitcoin, at least like at the time when I was mining Bitcoin, was for like drugs and illegal arms sales and like fishy things with foreign currency. And so I'm like, I, I don't know, maybe it's changed. And I'm, I'm sure there's like a bunch of Bitcoin apologists out there, but like I do just associate it with like. Yeah, like this, this money probably comes from like drug and arms sales. So like, do I want $10,000 if that like came from like money laundering and like destabilizing foreign governments? Like, not really. Yeah. Also, it's basically impossible to get like a significant... That's not true. You have to just take it out a little bit at a time. I have a friend who has a bunch of Bitcoin and just can't withdraw it all at once because none of the services allow you to do that. They all have mm. limits on it. So he just, whenever he needs money, he goes to the local Bitcoin ATM because there's one near where he lives. And yeah, makes there's one withdrawal. in Edmonton. There's several. There's there's a cafe chain that takes Bitcoin now. So so my other story there is like 2013 or so, my, my buddy runs like, you know, kind of like a hacker space in Edmonton. And so someone was trying to convince him that like, Bitcoin was the future. He's like, oh man, we're gonna use Bitcoin for everything. It's so great. Here, check it out. I can buy a coffee with Bitcoin. So he gave my friend a Bitcoin, which he then used to buy a coffee. And it's like, wow, in retrospect, that's like a $40,000 coffee. But like right. we, we talked about it and we're like, like, like when we were speculating like on, on Bitcoin stuff, like I, I know for sure, like if I had dumped a hundred bucks in Bitcoin and like when it was, you know, $10 a coin, if I had made like a thousand dollars, I would have thought that everyone was chumps and I was a genius. Like I would have been crowing over that for ages. Like, hi, you suckers. I made a thousand dollars by selling these 10 Bitcoins. You're idiots. Right. You always see people talking about how like, oh, I wish I could go back in time and Tell my younger self to put money into Bitcoin, but like the younger self would definitely have taken the money out when they when it came back like at a thousand percent, you know? Also, if you get to do that, everyone else gets to do that, right? And that's going to completely change everything. <laughs> oh, is that how time travel works? If, if one person do it, everybody can? Like, I think it's a fallacy to assume that if, if we're going to allow this, then you're the only one who gets it. Oh, I mean, we're talking about magic here. The sci-fi topic was the last one. Mm. 
But I've got a I've got a young hip coworker who's super into like coins and altcoins, and I'm just like considering like giving him my college hard drive and be like, here, see if you can find my wallet in this. Yeah, figure this out. I'll take ten percent. But well, yeah, but then like like the thought of like giving my college hard drive to someone else is like, ooh, let me examine every other file on there before I do that, please and thank you. <laughs> and what might they find? Uh well so Speaking of Firefly, there was one episode of Firefly that I never watched and I had it all on my hard drive. And I was going to say, like, I had a rainy day folder full of like, when you find an album you like, like, I would just take one song and like not listen to it and put it in that folder. Like I took an episode of Firefly that I didn't ever watch, put it in there. And the problem was I actually waited so long to watch this episode of Firefly that like, I didn't have any computers that supported that file format by then. It was like 10 years later and it was like, it was like XBI or something and like some, I, I don't know, man. Did you ever end up watching it? No. You know, I think I there's one episode I haven't watched either. Maybe it's the same one. Do, 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 do. There's that. And there's like, like I just used to save every funny picture I found on the internet. And I'm sure I wouldn't find them all funny now. Oh, God. Yeah. But it, <laughs> I still like, have that folder. It's terrible. Right. It, it's like, it's, it's like so several obsolete. gigabytes of like teenage edgelord. Or like I'm 14 and this is deep. Like you can make a subreddit mm. out of the shit that I saved on that computer. Oh, and yeah. Just a little so, so random. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's Look not like Look at this like, funny animal in a jar. It's it's not like anything <laughs> compromising. It's just like my my Bitcoin and um all the things I thought was funny when I was 18. Like that's probably the worst dirt you could get on me. Yeah, here's an audio clip from the Simpsons. <laughs> like we, we forget the impulse that we all once had of oh, this thing is really funny or cool or maybe I'll need it one day. I'm just going to like put it in my folder of stuff. And there was a time where you couldn't do that at all, or you had to like actually have a physical picture or recording. Oh, and then I, there don't, was a, I don't forget. Pepperidge Farm yeah. never forgets. And then there was a time where you could do it indefinitely, so you did it for everything. And now there's a time where you don't, because if you want something funny or weird on the internet, you, you'll find it. You don't need a storage folder for any of that. So, like, speaking of what you're talking about, uh, I'm volunteering at this high school and today was dress up day and the subject was memes. And I realized I was like, oh, my God, all the memes I would dress up with are like probably older than these kids. Uh, The only one I could think of that was recent was like Canada Heritage Moments. And I was like, these American students are not going to get like my Canada Heritage Moments jokes either. Like, I am done for. Alas. Oh, you can dress up like a scene from the Cosby show. What would you guys dress up as for meme day? I mean, I, I feel like the Steve Buscemi is in, as Hello Fellow Kids would be kind of the easy choice there. Um, oh, actually, you know who I'd go as? The, um, the, the aliens guy from the History Channel. I think I'm like halfway to the hair. And, uh, you know, I could, I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to change my math lectures to a ton. Just like work in, a, work in alien references every so often. Jim, what about you? I would dress up as the Murder, She Wrote theme song. Nice. Is that a meme? I mean, <laughs> it's it's a I mean it's a Dawkins meme. It's a it's a idea that's stuck in my head and that spreads to other people when I hum it. Man, I am out of touch. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of thinking like like can you just cover yourself in like upholstery and wallpaper? Is that a meme? No, but it would look like, it would look like murder. She <laughs> what, wrote. What is happening right now? <laughs> look, don't talk. Just put on this upholstery. 
Okay, so I want to know about these coins, these physical coins that would apparently represent a like was the Bitcoin wallet like was it is it like a USB drive shaped like a coin that your Bitcoin wallet was on? No, it was like so you would get like this coin and it had the Bitcoin symbol on it, and I think it was like kind of like the idea was like chip and pin, like so that you could like add an extra like layer of authentication to your wallet. If I remember correctly, I mean, to be honest, I don't remember all the details because we like understood it so poorly, like. Like, I think we thought that you had to have the actual coin to, like, spend your bit. Like, because it wasn't really established how you would actually make the transaction with Bitcoin. Be like, because, like, what right. if your internet was down? Like, you know, or what if the merchant's internet was down? Like. Yeah. Then you don't make the transaction. There was a, and I remember thinking this was very funny at the time. There was a, a barbecue joint in Berkeley that had, like, next to the register, there was, like, the Visa logo. And then there was, like five cryptocurrency logos including dogecoin yeah yeah remedy cafe in edmonton they've taken like all kinds of coin for like just about 10 years yeah and i i guess you you can just swipe a card and then something happens okay if you're ever in edmonton go to remedy chai and get chai and get a butter chicken wrap and thank me later and a forty thousand dollar coffee in the past like and take pictures and send them to me because i miss their chai i mean that coffee might have appreciated in value too mm. you don't know mm. did it taste like forty thousand dollars no it tasted like chai are we ready for another topic i believe we are yes uh my topic is i can't decide whether i'm no more annoyed that wiener schnitzel doesn't serve schnitzel or that they did for three months in 2017 as a gag so for the audience who might not live, I don't know, I think this is a North American thing. Wiener Schnitzel is a hot dog place. And they named it Wiener Schnitzel because it has wiener in the name. <laughs> uh, and Schnitzel, like, I guess there are probably listeners who don't know what Schnitzel is. It's kind of like a, a flat fried meat that they like in Germany. Yeah, it's good. Would recommend if you're in Austria. Yeah, you know, it's tasty stuff. I, You know, I like a hot dog too, but like it's definitely false advertising. Mm. And apparently like this one time as a promotional stunt, they were like, okay, guys, we're really going to serve schnitzel. We're going to live up to our name. And uh, they did it for like three months and then they were like, okay, we ran out of the schnitzel we bought. So now we're don't, we don't serve schnitzel anymore. I, I'm just imagining that like the one executive who comes up with this idea in the shower and like thinks it's the most hilarious thing ever and the the rolling of the eyes of everyone involved in the logistics of this as a result for like this joke that most people won't really get or notice. Right. And the people who do will be annoyed by it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like my my only reference. So for me, there was there was one there was one Wiener Schnitzel in my area growing up that like closed down when I was very young. Still, so in my mind, it's perpetually frozen as the place we went to that I liked a lot because it served hot dogs. I there's no doubt in my mind I would not have touched Wiener Schnitzel. I was a very picky eater. Right. Also where uh, it's where I at least read a book called My First Book of Space that pretty much kicked off a lifetime long obsession with space. So I have I have the, the wiener dog, which was the mascot, at least at the time, to thank for that. 
Alex lied to his mother about not liking potatoes as a child, and then he had to not I eat did. potatoes. How dumb is that? Wow. No, I yeah, I was I was a very annoyingly picky eater, and you know, mom was exasperated, and it's the kind of thing where someone forcibly proves you right, but you will just not give them an inch of satisfaction about it. I guess it's kind of foreshadowing what every single argument on the internet's going to be like. In yeah. that she basically still that stubborn. Yeah, she basically made me eat a potato and. I thought it tasted good, but boy, am I not going to, like, let this come to light at all. <laughs> as far as the topic goes, I think the more annoying one would be that the joke that's only funny for, like, five minutes, but they have to keep up for a few months, um, despite the, I'm sure, intent pressures on someone working there. Probably the most annoying part of that, but to me, Wiener Schnitzel is the magic place that only existed when I was a kid, and I got to read about space and eat hot dogs. That does sound like a great place to go. I want to go to a hot dog place and learn about space. Yeah. I, and and I'm getting vaccinated tomorrow. So. Oh, congrats. Thanks. Uh, the other thing, my other Wiener Schnitzel annoyance was that I remember like five years ago, they had this promotional thing where it was something like uh, – the, the gimmick was something like they had a, a – it was a chili dog but in a burrito – a chili dog burrito. And I was like, okay, that sounds that sounds tasty. I like burritos and I like chili dogs. I'd like to I'm gonna try this gimmick if I'm ever ever near a Wiener Schnitzel. And it turns out I was near a Wiener Schnitzel like a few months later and I tried it. And it was the most like uninspired, like like they thought of this the title of the food stuff without actually trying them out together. And just they they gave it to the like okay here's a tortilla here's a chili cheese dog fucking make it work and the employee was like okay I'll fold the tortilla around the chili cheese dog and it's gonna taste like shit. <laughs> to, to be fair, the the culinary dimensional space of meat product folded into wrap of bread product it yields copious delicious results. Yeah, that's why I thought it would be like. If they had had a chef take this on instead of just like punting it to like, okay, here's a tortilla, just fold it in there. Uh, I bet a chef could have made it delicious. Or uh, what do you call like, I bet there's a, a different name for the role of like someone whose job isn't just to cook food, but to like design and develop the processes for like a fast food restaurant because huh. that's a different skill set. The food producer. The food producer. Like yeah, you need both like an understanding of the systems involved and of how to prepare food. Yeah, like you know those like those cooking competitions you see on TV. Uh, so we had one in Canada sponsored by like Superstore. It's like our big chain of grocery stores or like Loblaws. Uh, sponsored by Bob Loblaw, in fact, real person. Uh, so it was really cool because you would watch these people like cook delicious food on TV. You know, they pick some winning recipes and then say, okay, now we're going to go to a commercial kitchen and like show you how to scale this up properly. And it like, it was never easy. It's really hard to get all the proportions correct. Like multiplying something by four doesn't necessarily make like the same end product um, with the way we right. measure stuff. It's real weird. Uh, and so I thought it was like fascinating watching how they would scale this up, like to produce it on like different like machinery or, or like in bulk in a commercial process. And the best part was after you watch all this tasty food on TV, go buy it in the store. 
And like, yes, this is absolutely like just terrible, like marketing and pandering to people. But I loved it. Like watch food on TV, go to store, buy same food, like appreciate how hard it is to make food. Loved it. And like, oddly enough, you could not find pulled pork like anywhere in the grocery store in at least in my town before that. And afterwards, like there were like four kinds of pulled pork. So this show did everyone a favor. (laughs) Uh, Are we we ready for another topic? Pork pulled in four different ways. (laughs) It's drawn and quartered. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) this is a write-in. Jesse asks, first encountering a song through parody. I feel like my experience with this is that I heard every Weird Al version of a song before I heard the original. Hmm. Yeah. I think my version of this would be uh, Sesame Street, Monsterpiece Theater. A lot of like references to literature and shows that I would have no way of knowing anything about, but just like, oh, here's Funny Monsters doing it. Oh, I remember there was a... uh, there was that channel square one or not channel, but like TV show that was all about math for kids. And they had a recurring segment called MathNet That was a parody of dragnet, which is something I had no reference for at all. Yeah. I wanted right. to watch dragnet. Cause I really liked MathNet. Like I thought that media would like dragnet. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? I never, you know, I've never watched Dragnet. We should do this after this episode. I forget Mathnet. We should watch okay, that too. Okay, put it on the topics bucket. Dragnet. We'll check back in in like a month. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure that's how it works, but we can give it a try. So yeah, ideas. parody songs. When I was a kid, like when we used to go to like Bible camp or like Girl Scouts camp and stuff, uh, like the popular graces that you would say like before meals, those were all parodies of different songs. Uh, and so the first one that comes to mind is uh, Bad Moon Rising. Uh, So he would take like cool, you know, like pop culture stuff, but then you would like warp it. So it'd be like cool Christian culture stuff, Uh, except no one bothered doing anything after like the 70s. So all we had was like, uh, like really old stuff, like, like rock around the clock, right? Like God is good. (laughs) God is great. And I want to thank him for this food. Like that kind of shit. Uh, (laughs) So when you said parody song, all I can think is like my favorite uh, Bad Moon Rising, like, I see dinner on the table. Whoa, give the Lord your blessing for the salad and the dressing. Whoa, dinner's on the way. That's that's actually pretty good. That's why I drank so much before this. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, parody songs with cool Christian culture. The only thing being like they forgot to actually put any new songs in there. So like in the 2000s. Like the the one person who had that skill set died and then back when Christianity was groovy. So so like like my introduction to like Creedence Clearwater Revival was like through through Bible camp parody. And and I will add the other part of that is anytime like a hymn has you singing Children of the Lord, you have to yell like Children of the Corn really loudly until you get in trouble. And that's how you know you're cool. I remember running across uh, a website in the 90s that was like, here's my list of, if I'm singing along with a pop song on the radio that's full of sin, here's my the, yes. my version where I wrote the words about yes. God instead. We had those. It's getting cold in here, what? So put on all your coats. I'm getting so cold. I'm going to put my coat on. I'm pretty sure I independently. I hope I never listen to this yeah, episode. I'm pretty sure like a hundred people have independently come up with that It's getting inversion. cold in here, what? So, well, but I was in Canada too. Like it's, it's Oh yeah, so everything's new. Yeah. I, I still like sing this in my head occasionally when I'm going outside. I'm like, it's getting cold in here, what? So put on all my coats. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> totally. And I know, like, like Walmart used to sell, like, different versions of albums. Like, there'd be, like, the clean, like, the edit version and, like, oh, yeah. 
I don't know, like hearing, hearing a parody first, it, it's little things like it took me a while to like mentally click the name Sherlock Holmes into place because of years of watching Sesame Street's character Sherlock Hemlock, which is a lot more <laughs> like snappy. And he's like, wait, his name's Holmes? Oh, God. Like it, it, that, took, that took years to fix. <laughs> Yeah, and is and the the host of his show Vincent twice, Vincent twice. This phenomenon can also happen with like movies where I don't know anybody who saw uh, Spaceballs before Star Wars, but it definitely could happen. Or, or, <laughs> that'd be really weird. Yeah, or even like seeing a, an SNL skit before you see, especially if it's like you're seeing a, a rerun of like twenty year old SNL episodes. Then they're then they're parodying then contemporary movies. You might not have ever seen the movie. I think that's really common. Oh, I, I you know what the other thing for me was a decently sized chunk of Monty Python sketches were mocking various other types of things on British TV in the sixties, like really waste of time talk shows where they invite people in with weird stories that aren't really that interesting or, you know, BBC announcements yeah. or a lot of the like drama programs that were happening. And as a kid, it's just like, look at the, like as an American, very young kid, it's just like, Oh, look at this. Look at these funny things that are happening for no reason on. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just lol random. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do feel like that um, had a big influence on because Monty Python was uh, huge in like nerd culture in the nineties. I was very influential and, you know, Monty Python, like it, it references a lot of like, not, not just, you know, British TV of the era, but like literature. But if you're like a teenager, you probably aren't getting any of that stuff. Yeah. And it's still funny because people doing bizarre stuff for no apparent reason is funny. And I think that probably influenced in a strong way, like the, the the sense of humor of that entire generation of Americans at least yeah they just, just they just kind of they tickle the neurons in a way that normally the combination of things you normally don't see uh, right I, I read that like they, they made a special effort to like instead of lampooning particular celebrities and people just lampooning the general archetype of the pompous politician or the useless bureaucrat well because they have stronger liberal laws hmm. yeah that's true. So my, my new favorite podcast is Trash Future and they're UK based and their big joke is they always like say allegedly very heavily before things. But <laughs> but part of that is because like the UK has like stronger oh. like liberal laws and, and like stronger like they actually like, like prosecute the press for like like making shit up or like harassing people too badly. Yeah. I mean, well, there that might have been the case, but they're like their rationalization for it was more like you know the things the, the the things we are making fun of will last a lot longer than the like very particular people of the time. Also, like uh, like stuff like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I remember it was I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was the funniest book ever. Reading it and um, I'm listening to the uh, the original radio series, and then later on, it only it clicked at me how much. Douglas Adams is just taking the piss out of everything British that bugs him about society. Well, right. it's, yeah, like Dirk Gently, like how you can't order pizza in Britain. It's true. You yeah. can order like curry or like chicken parm or like fish and chips, but like you can't really order pizza for takeout. Yeah. 
Like, and I don't know what, like, the, I must have been there, like, decades after the books were written, and I was like, huh, yeah, I can't get a fucking pizza. <laughs> There's a scene in the radio uh, uh, version of Hitchhiker's Guide where they go to a discotheque. Like, that that didn't make it into the book, probably because that joke get, gets dated way before all the others. But, yeah, it was it was just stuff that was happening that he was he was bugged about. <laughs> right. That reminds me, like, things that only exist in Canada, you know, like, the album Backstreet's Back. Everyone in the States thinks it's weird because what happened to the first Backstreet album, it only got released in Canada and Europe because we were the test market so the Backstreet Boys could practice being famous. It's like how before Justin Timberlake did Bringing Sexy Back, he did, he made that uh, song about where sexy went, but it was only released in Japan. No, the first Backstreet Boys <laughs> album is red. It's called The Backstreet Boys and it has their yeah. other songs on it. Amanda's thing is real. The thing I just said is fake. <laughs> But but yeah, if you're a huge Backstreet Boys fan, uh, there is an alternate universe. <laughs> we, as called, we all are. <laughs> hey, you know, speaking of Bible camp, like we prayed <laughs> for Brian during his heart surgery. We were so worried about Brian. Imagine like like just thousands of poor like Bible camp girls crying their eyes out over Brian. And now he's like a trumper on Parlor. And I'm like, I take it back. I wow. take back all... The, my innocent, naive goodwill towards your well-being. Like, I am finally, after 20 years, I am switching teams to Team Kevin. Kevin is the better Backstreet Boys. Like, Brian is canceled. And I'm going to start yeah. this campaign and, myself. And all those times at the dinner table, you said, everybody worship Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> exactly. Now I have to make a parlor account so I can get him on the show. Oh, shit. I wouldn't even be excited anymore. Like we bought $200 presale tickets to Backstreet Boys. It was supposed to happen in 2020. And like we got refunds and I'm not going to buy those tickets again. Because suck it, Brian. There you go. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. Okay. I think we're ready for the next topic. Uh, Alexander, your topic is bad habits that adventure games teach you. So I, I, I feel like it's irresponsible to, to lay this on to the games I play, but I also feel like there's habits and some things I do that were kind of taught to me through the old adventure games of uh, like Sierra and LucasArts, like King's Quest and Space Quest and the like. Yeah. Basically, to... To win the game, you have to do everything right, and which often means you have to collect every collectible item because that one doohickey you're going to pick up on this one screen is going to be vital to get out of a jam like five scenes later. The I remember in uh, Space Quest 4, there's a whole bit where you're you're in a time traveling pod it's actually and you you actually travel to past and future space quests you go all the way back to to this whole scene of space quest one you go to this thing you know like you, you dodge narrowly being killed and stuff there's a whole bit where you have to do a whole sequence of stuff just for a book of matches you were in right. a mall before you did this like you could have bought one of those you had money but no, you have to do things in a certain way. You have to do it right. You have to keep everything because if you have an item, there will be a use for it later. Every, you know, every problem has a best way to solve it if you kept all your items and you, sh you have to do everything perfect. Otherwise, it, it doesn't count and you, know, you won't pass and you have to do it all yourself. And I feel like sometimes I find myself going about doing 
Ta- like stuff in real life it's like oh i better keep this i might need it later oh i uh <laughs> I, I this there's this one thing that I, I i know i can do so i gotta do it and i have to do it exactly right it's just yeah the, the, the classic observation about adventure games is that you always have to pick up everything that it's possible to pick up yeah i i really like the idea that you were talking about going going uh time traveling to various different games in the space quest universe yeah I really like the idea that you you t- time travel into the past, you pick up an item that past you needed, and suddenly you create a paradox. Yeah. That'd be a fun way to, to have subverted that. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, one thing that kind of that brought this out to me is um, there, was, uh, there was this adventure game that Amanda had me play a couple years ago. I think it was. I think it was older. I'm not sure how old it was. It's called. Um, was it a Tale of Two Kingdoms? A Tale of Two Kingdoms. Yeah. No, it's like it's made with a Sierra engine, but like recently. Yeah, it's it's Sierra style. Like it kind of feels that, but it it subverts a lot of the weird kind of bad tropes. In that there isn't just one way of doing things, and you really don't need. You don't have to do everything. Unlike pretty much. Every adventure game I played, except possibly King's Quest VI, like you can actually finish the game without doing a lot of it. Oh, and you can like totally accuse the wrong person of being the criminal, and you can have like no evidence for it, and people don't really take you seriously, and they're just like left <laughs> wondering like what actually happened, and they don't tell you. Yeah, like they don't they don't tell you anything. It's like, well, maybe pay better attention and solve the mystery. So, like in contrast to games like I remember, like King's Quest Five and such. Like, if you don't have the item that you were supposed to get, like you will not pass a later screen. You will just die, and it will be frustrating. Um, you know, you have to do everything. You have to do it perfectly to advance. But this game is like. Oh, yeah, you could pick up the... Oh, there's a... Hey, there's a monster chasing you. You can either, A, use information that you might have optionally read in a book earlier to defeat it, or you could just, you know, dodge it and lead it back to your camp where your, you know, comp- your competence and active uh, allies will kill the monster for you. Like, there isn't just one answer to, uh, to all of these things. You can do what would reasonably make sense instead of use this special item in the special way. Well, to be fair, I feel like you don't really play, like, a lot of, like, AAA, like, sandbox-style games. Like, if you play, like, no. The Witcher or, like, Skyrim, my new thing. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, my, my question about this is that is it systematized or is it as every interaction bespoke, like, in an adventure game? Um, I think every action is bespoke. Like I, I, this, this, this must have taken a ton of effort to put in because of how many branching options you have for each interaction. Right. The premise is like you're you're visiting and from another kingdom, and like the king gets killed, and you see the assassin, you get framed, and you to finish, you have to just like clear your name and stop the the big evil plot, but. Then you go to finally get to his funeral of the guy, one who was killed, and everyone's like, "Hey, what happened to that guy? Oh yeah, and what about this other thing? Oh yeah, we didn't actually figure this out. Oh yeah, who killed him?" And it's kind of like, "Hey, you got to the end. Like, hint, hints. There's other stuff you could have done too." Yeah, that's neat. I don't know. I think it, I think it was a pretty good subversion of a lot of the like, "Hey, you have to figure out every puzzle yourself without asking your friends for help, or you have to do things a certain way, and you have to hundred percent things." It's it's kind of almost like Stardew Valley to me, where like someone played Harvest Moon, they loved Harvest Moon, and like okay, now it's time to fix Harvest Moon and perfect it. 
And I, I, so I feel like there's like a lot of like fan-made adventure games that are like, okay, like here are the things I really like, but how do I like fix, like how do I kick it out of the rut? Like how do I fix the problems with yeah. it? So yeah, like a shout out to fan games. I also like the, uh, there's a mechanic in it where there's a wishing well you get to use. You get to throw, toss a coin down there and it's basically a, a get out of this puzzle free thing. Like I, I, I wish animals trusted me more so that I could just pick up this animal I'm supposed to trap. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a mechanic in uh, Wishbringer for by Infocom. When you were talking about the idea of accusing somebody of murder, that reminded me of the structurally the uh, the mystery games, the hard boiled detective games that Infocom published had a very different structure from the from the traditional adventure games where you have to solve every puzzle. Where the way they work is they're little clockwork universes where you the detective enter this space and things start happening around you. Like people will be walking around and having interactions with each other. And uh, you might have to like hide in a closet to overhear one, but you might not know you have to hide in a closet until you like stumble into these people talking and they glare at you and then you have to restart and then go hide in the closet. And the next time, the next time you play the game. Oh, it's like that Uh, dragon dragon game, dragon's lair or whatever, like where you just have to, like memorize the buttons to press at the right time by dying a lot. Uh, it is like that, except you're not paying 50 cents per attempt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, no one ever said being a detective was easy. <laughs> and you, as the player, you have to piece together like who committed this crime and find evidence for it. Uh, and it's extremely rare that they have a traditional pass fail puzzle that where you have to solve a puzzle to proceed with the story hmm. Ex- except the puzzle of who, who who committed the crime it's it's pretty interesting stuff it, like and, and uh i haven't seen very many modern adventure games follow up on that structure like i guess there's a whole subgenre of detective games nowadays that maybe maybe i should check those out if i want to if i want to find that stuff Hmm. Did you ever play Gabriel Knight? I never did. I had a game started. Speaking of my college hard drive, uh, I should pick that back up. I remember really enjoying it, but for some reason, I don't think I finished it. So, What's it an adventure game? Yeah, it's uh, LucasArts. Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Fathers. That's a, that's a Sierra series. Right. LucasArts, same thing. That's <laughs> <laughs> no. right. I could have sworn, huh? Well, I messed up. That's Okay. You don't need to know everything about video games to be on this show. But I want Roberta Williams to adopt me, and now I've blown it. <laughs> Did you see she just wrote a novel? No, I was too busy being sad about how she won't adopt me because I've blown it. Yeah, she just published it in the last 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Haven't read it yet. <laughs> I bet it's really good. What if they live in Seattle? Maybe they live in Seattle. Yeah. Then we can be friends. Where okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this. Where does? Well, I'm not gonna tell you where they really live because the secrets. Yeah, but you're not really gonna track her down and ask her to adopt you. So we might we can play out the fantasy here. Yeah, you have to go through a particular portal to go to get her, but you have to have like certain items. Yeah, it says she lives in California, so she definitely lives in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. California is the Seattle of Mexico. Yeah, San Francisco, the Everbrown State. And that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Okay. Amanda, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? 
I'm good. I think I'm on Twitter. I mean, I'm on Twitter. Are you on Twitter? Yeah. That I just had a tweet and Jim retweeted about how Bitcoin is energy bad for the planet. Oh, okay. She does have a house in Seattle. She might be in there right now. <gasps> she go check. She might be in my... The noise is coming from in my own house. I mean, how far is it? Can you like... We can extend this show if you want to go... Like, look, peer in her window while we're recording. Oh, I thought she'd be like in my attic. Mm. But she's probably got a nicer place than that. Uh, Alexander, if this is the thing that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I won't say anything now because Roberta Williams is going to track me down. (laughs) And adopt you against your will. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But like, you know, every morning I'll have to like, I'm going to have to like tie my shoes and eat breakfast in exactly the right way. Or, you know, I, when I walk out the door, she'll kill me or something. It doesn't say anything about her book. We got to uh, update her. Wiki. It's, it's go to robertasbook.com. Oh, well, yeah. Like we got to update her. Oh, never mind. There's a tiny little note. Farewell to Tara set in Ireland. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks for the idea. I'll go read that. Yeah. So, Roberta Williams, if there's if this is something you want, you want people to know <laughs> where to find you. Find you on the internet. Yeah, I already I already said the URL. I so. have nice chickens. You can hug them. Oh. Oh, and we're training them to jump through hula hoops. We've accidentally trained them to do silly things for food. That's about it. Uh, yeah, Alex accidentally trained a chicken to tackle him. Like every time he like picked up a shovel to do yard work, Not tackle um, me so much as just jump on my shoulder. Sure. The chicken version of tackle. Yeah. No, those are, they're, they're big. They could knock you down. Oh, they would murder you for seeds if they were smart enough, but they're not. <laughs> if they realized that you there were a bunch of seeds in your belly right now. They'd go for it. Tear it open like a velociraptor. Give it a shot. Thanks so much for being on Topic Lords. Oh, thanks so much for having us. Always a pleasure. I used to be an adventurer like you till a chicken pecked me in the knee. Ugh. Good night. <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.